we really do need really do need to explore this text. We need to find out why in the world would Jesus be interested in establishing a relationship with a guy like Zacchaeus who's so morally, ethically, relationally, and even vertically challenged. Why would he, why would he bother? The location of this story is important, where it takes place. It takes place in Jericho. Jericho is six miles from the Dead Sea and six miles from the Jordan River. Um, Dennis, if you go one, there we go, we're there. We're, Dennis and I are coordinating this. We didn't get to talk much before this service, so he's, he's going to do his best to, to keep us up with it. And you can see where it is. It's, it sits six miles between the Dead Sea, six miles from the Jordan. It was right on the big trade route from Arabia. It was a place that had a customs station, a central station for the collection of taxes because people came through there all the time. It was on the main highway. Well, verse 1 tells us something is interesting about Jesus in Jericho. It says that he was passing through. Now, Jesus was passing through. He wasn't coming to stay in Jericho. He was on his way to Jerusalem. This happened to be also Palm Sunday. And it was a day that he was on his way to Jerusalem to suffer, to die for your sins and mine, and to rise again so that uh, the payment for our sins would be complete and salvation would be ours. One thing we know about Jesus, he, he seemed to attract the dust of every village on his, on his sandals. And when Jesus passes through, some good things happen when he passes through people's lives. And that was sure true for Zacchaeus. In fact, this might have been the best day in Zacchaeus' whole life. His name, Zacchaeus. In Hebrew, Zacchaeus is the Greek form. In Hebrew, it's Zacchae. And his main name means the innocent, the just, or the pure. Now, that must have really stuck in the craws of those God-fearing Jews who lived in Jericho because they knew Zacchaeus as anything but just, pure, and innocent. He was a tax collector who was dishonest. He, it tells us he was a chief tax collector. That means he didn't just sit in a little booth on the side of the road with a tin can and people drop their shekels in. He was a chief tax collector over a whole bunch of other people. He had, he had many subs working under him. And the truth is, Zacchaeus could have become a very wealthy man if he had done his job honestly. We know from verse 8 later that we'll see is he wasn't honest. He had cheated people. And you could get away with that because all the Romans cared about was as long as the emperor got his cut, whatever the tax collector could skim off the top, he could get away with. And he'd been getting away with it for a very long time. Well, we're told in verse 3 it says, being a short man. Now, to be called a short man by, by Luke in his gospel, he must have really been short. Paleontologists and, an, and anthropologists tell us, uh, and archaeologists tell us that uh, in the first century, the average man in Israel was somewhere between 5'2 and 5'4. To call Zacchaeus short, most commentators say he must have been under 5 feet, must have been 4 foot something. So he's, he's, a, he's a very short guy. And the interesting thing is that there's any description of him at all. Because I, there, are, there are very few people in the Bible that we get physical descriptions of. In the Old Testament, we get a physical description of King Saul. We're told he was a head taller than everybody else. We're told that David was ruddy, with, a ruddy-looking man with handsome features. We're told that Leah, who was one of the two wives of Jacob, had weak eyes. I've always puzzled, what does that mean, she had weak eyes? Was that something you could see, or did that mean she couldn't see well herself? And we're told that Sarah, the wife of Abraham, was a beautiful woman. But do you know in the New Testament, the only person we get a physical description of 
is Zacchaeus. You'd think, with all the pictures of Jesus that you've seen in your lifetime, that somewhere in the New Testament would be a physical description of him. But there isn't one. We don't know his eye color. We don't know his hair color. We don't know his stature. But we know that Zacchaeus was a short man. And the reason Luke tells us that is because it was important to the situation, to the story. It says in verse 3, because he was, because he was a short man, uh, that because of the crowd he couldn't see. Well, on this road that day, as on the way to Jerusalem through Jericho, are a whole motley crew of people. There are caravans coming from Arabia with people who are bringing goods to trade. There were priests who lived in Jericho who were on their way to Jerusalem. Um, there were probably thieves and pickpockets who were, who were there to steal from un, unsuspecting tourists. It was a, a big sea of unwashed humanity. And this crowd really had some wonderings about Jesus. If we had looked back if, 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 and, and, and asked our reader this morning to read the previous chapter as well, find out in chapter 18 of, of uh, Luke's Gospel that on the way into Jericho, Jesus had healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. And now he's on the way out of Jericho, and so there's been a buzz that's been generated about who in the world is this guy Jesus? You know, some people are wondering, is, is, he, a, is he just a good man who does miracles in the name of God? Because we heard he healed a blind man. There were others who said, could he be the Savior? Is he coming perhaps um, to overthrow the Roman government, to free us from the oppression that we're under? Some said, you know what, I heard he's a blasphemer. He doesn't make his disciples wash their hands, ritual washing of hands before they eat meals. And he lets them pick grain on the Sabbath. He's a bad guy. Zacchaeus really doesn't know who Jesus is. He's just heard about him. You know, I wondered in, in the case of Zacchaeus, is it perhaps that his guilty conscience has worked on him so long that now he's wondering, could this maybe be somebody that could help me out of my situation? Maybe he had heard that Jesus was somebody who not only did he not stay away from sinners, he actually welcomed sinners, he talked to them, he spoke with them. He decides he's just got to see Jesus. There are a lot of people like Zacchaeus in our world today, in your community of Texarkana, people who want to see Jesus or need to see him. And sometimes, sadly, it's self-centered and self-righteous Christians like us that may prevent the Zacchaeuses in our world from seeing Jesus. Some Christians don't want to be around unwashed kind of people, the sort of undesirables of our society. And so we actually block somebody's way to see Jesus. Who are Zacchaeuses around us? There's sometimes the new people in a community. There's sometimes people of a generation different than the majority in a church. There are people of a different skin color, different ethnicity, different culture group, different language. But every one of them needs to see Jesus. And we've got to be sure that in the church, we're not the people that, who make it difficult for them to see him. Well, we're told that Zacchaeus climbed up a sycamore fig tree. You know, he's pushed his way through the crowd, tried to push his way through, couldn't see, tried to look over people's shoulders, but when you're four feet something and everybody else is five foot three, you can't do it. And so he climbs up a sycamore fig tree. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't climbed a tree for a while. That's something I think sort of better left to children and, and, and the young in body to do. And in fact, in Jesus' day, it was considered undignified for a man to climb a tree because a man wore a long robe, and you didn't want anybody seeing that as you went up the tree. 
And so Zacchaeus does something that he probably had never done on any other day before, certainly not something he did every day, and he decides to climb up that tree to get a good look at Jesus. He really wants to see him. He doesn't know why, but he knows he's just got to do it. Verse 5 has an incredibly interesting statement. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Now, up till now, it sounded like Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus, right? But it says that Jesus looked up. And the truth is, there, there are no coincidental meetings with Jesus. Jesus wants a relationship with every single human being that he's ever created. He desires it more than anything else. God wants nothing more than people who don't know him, for people who are far away from him to, to have a restored relationship with him. You know, Jesus goes to the tree, and it's, it's interesting what he doesn't say. He doesn't walk up, to, look up in the tree and say, hey, you, little guy up there, come on down. Or, hey, you, crooked tax collector, come on down here and straighten out your life. He doesn't say any of those things. But look at what he does say. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. He calls him by name. He's never seen him before, but he knows who he is. No matter how people, high people's status was in Jesus' day, you just didn't invite yourself to somebody's house. I'm going to pick on, is it Derek? I won't pick on you, Derek. Is that okay? You know, if I came to Derek and said, hey, by the way, Derek, I'm coming to your house for dinner today, right after church. Now, Derek might be nice enough to say, oh, I better think quick here now, and, and might say yes. He might say yes, but, but it, would it startle you? Not a bit. He said not a bit. Most of you, it would startle, right? You might be nice enough to, and polite enough to let me come, but we just don't do that, and that wasn't done in Jesus' day either, let alone being invited to the home of somebody like Zacchaeus, a self-respecting rabbi like Jesus, according to polite society, should never have gone to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus doesn't only do that, but he invites himself. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And notice the other thing that he says is part of that. He says, I must stay at your house today. In other words, not coming in for a quick cup of coffee and a howdy, but he's going to be there a while. He's going to spend some time. He's going to have a conversation with this guy who the rest of society thinks is a real bum. It's amazing. Notice also what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today, but you better clean up your act, boy. You better straighten out. doesn't say any of that. He takes Zacchaeus just as he is, takes you and me just as we are, and says, I want to be with you. I want to come and be with you. Verse 6 tells us something also interesting. When, when, when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, it says Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. The big welcome mat is out. Nothing is very clear to Zacchaeus yet. He really doesn't know much about Jesus at this point. But he, he does welcome him gladly. The word gladly, you can see the, the Greek word, is, it's chiron. It's a word that literally means to rejoice so much that your heart jumps within you. Any of you, if you, any of you remember the story of John the Baptist when Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist, sees Mary, who's carrying the baby Jesus, it says the babe leaped within her womb. It's the same word, Chiron. In other words, there's so much joy that Jesus is coming to Zacchaeus' house, it's like his heart jumps. You've probably had that experience maybe on a roller coaster sometime when your heart jumped. If I do, it's not because I'm having a fun. It's just I'm scared to death. Well, Zacchaeus doesn't decide to welcome Jesus gladly. He doesn't even have that ability. The Holy Spirit is preparing his heart. 
has prepared him to welcome Jesus gladly into his life. Then, almost every story of Jesus comes the inevitable criticism of Jesus. They say in verse 7, he is going to be the guest of a sinner. See that chain with a broken link in it that has everything to do with this phrase. What does, it, what does it mean? Because Zacchaeus sure fit the, fit the definition of a sinner. And, there were, and Zacchaeus and the crowd probably thought, yeah, Jesus, he's having Jesus as his guest that day. The word for guest in Greek is kataluo. It means to loose or unbind something that, that has been bound or chained up. And so the way it would work if somebody came to your house, you would say, now, if it, if it was the opposite way and Derek came to my house, I might say to Derek, Derek, come on in and take a load off, right? That means unburden, or politely, I might say, unburden yourself from your journey and refresh. Probably not the kind of language I'd use, but that's what it means. And so what, what's happening here is, in, is everybody thinks that Zacchaeus is having Jesus as his guest, and the truth is, if you think about it, whose chains are being unbound? Whose burden is being lifted? It's Zacchaeus. So really, Zacchaeus is the guest of Jesus. My bet is when you think about yourself in this church and you see someone who's here for the first or second time, you say, I'm a member, you're a guest. I would encourage you to think of yourself as a guest every week you come here because every time you come to worship, Communion Sunday, non-Communion Sunday, you're here so that God can lift your burden of sin from you and once again remind you what he's done for you. That way, anybody who's new is just a fellow guest, just along with you. And that's what Jesus does for Zacchaeus. He unloosens his sin and unburdens him. Then verse 8 gives us Zacchaeus' response. He's come to his house. He's spent time with him. And it says, but Zacchaeus stood up. In that moment, all the past sin that Zacchaeus has been going through has been unloosed. It's been unbound for him. His chains drop off. And he knows that his, he knows very clearly what his past has been, but he knows that his present is with Jesus in a complete joyful situation, and he knows his future is going to be different. Nothing's going to be the same again. The sorrow is going to be gone. And do you notice still Jesus has never once said to him, Zacchaeus, clean up your life now. Now that you've heard the good news, straighten out. You better be good. Then I'll like you. Doesn't say that. Well, Look at his response in the second part of verse 8. He says, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And he knows that he has cheated people out of things. The Torah, which is the books of Moses, it had some regulations about that. It says in, in, in the Torah, which is uh, in Leviticus, it says if you steal something, you've got to return what you stole plus 20% interest. If you get caught stealing, you've got to pay it back double. So if you, if you figure it out yourself, you pay back what you owe plus 20%, but if you get caught, you pay back double. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to blow that out of the water. I'm going I'm to do a 400% rebate of all the taxes I've taken. I'm going to pay back four times the amount, and I'm going to give half of, every, of my net worth I'm giving to the poor. Talk about a change in lifestyle. Zacchaeus hears about the grace of God and recognizes the cruelty that his behavior has inflicted on the rich and poor alike, taking more than he should have. And grace has gotten a hold of him. He knows he's forgiven, and he wants to make restitution for those whom he's hurt. 
Verse 9, we might think, is a reward. Verse 9, it says, today, salvation has come to this house. And we might think, well, that's because Zacchaeus has done good, and so now he gets salvation. But that's not what it's about at all. What it's about is, is that Jesus is affirming now that Zacchaeus has done the right thing, it's a response to the fact that salvation has come to his house. He doesn't get... He doesn't get Jesus saying salvation has come to this house because he's done the right thing or because he's made restitution, but because Zacchaeus recognized that without Jesus, he really was up a tree, and he was never going to get to come down without him. His turnaround, everything that's happened, is evidence of the grace of God, of the salvation he's received, not the cause of it. Sometimes we get caught in that trap thinking that if I don't do enough right things, God won't love me anymore. I've got to keep a ledger book, and over here are the good things I do, and over here are the bad things, and hopefully my good thing list is longer than my bad thing list. You ever think like that occasionally? Even when you know that's not the way it works? That's not the way it works. God says the ledger isn't going to show good things. The ledger is going to show bad things, but I've wiped all that clean. That's gone. No longer do you carry those burdens because I've unloosened that. You're my guest. Well, there are a lot of Zacchaeuses in your community. Um, there are, when the latest statistics show that in places like Texarkana, Texas, on a given Sunday morning, that about 20% of the population is worshiping in any place at all, in any, in any house of worship. 80% are not. And how does Jesus feel about the 80% who are not worshiping? Verse 10 gives us the answer to that question. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's what he says to, in the presence of his disciples and all these folks and Zacchaeus. After Zacchaeus, even after Zacchaeus has talked about paying everything back, he says, I've come to save lost people. It's the mission statement of Jesus. It's what the pious religionists, the crowd, the disciples, and Zacchaeus all needed to hear. And what does that tell us about him? That tells us that, that whether you're up a tree whether you're up a creek without a paddle. Jesus wants a relationship with you. And there's three verses that, that go with those, th those points that you see up there. First one is from Isaiah 43, 1, where, Jesus, where God says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Just like Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, he knows yours. He knows you intimately and loves you despite anything that he sees about you. Jeremiah 1, 5 God says, before I formed you, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God was saying to Zacchaeus, your life's going to be different now. I've set you apart for a different kind of living. And he says the same thing to us. We're set apart to live very differently than we did before. We're set apart to live for God. And then Revelation 3.20, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He knows our name. He sets us apart. He knocks on the door of our heart. He wants to be in our lives. He wants us out of our trees, and he wants to come into our homes. Well, in the same way that Jesus said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house, that's what he says to us. Why must we come down? Because Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I would encourage you to, to remember there was a time when you were lost, before you were baptized, 
or before you became a believer, there was a time when you were far from God. And it was God's actions that brought you close to him, either through your baptism as a child or as an adult, or your conversion as an adult, maybe in your high school years, who knows. That's when God said, you're part of my family now. Well, there may be even some people in worship this morning, we don't know, who are still up a tree, who really don't know whether Jesus has come for them. And Jesus stands at the base of your tree and begs you to come down. There may be some of you here this morning who have come down, but really haven't welcomed him gladly into your home. Maybe you want to keep religion compartmentalized. There's church on Sunday, and there's my life the rest of the week. Jesus says, I want to be part of all of that. And there are some of us, perhaps, for whom it's head knowledge. We know it up here, but it's not something that's made its way the 18 inches from our brain to our heart, and it hasn't because it hasn't made a real difference in how we live. But if you have, if you've come down, or if you're still up there, Jesus wants that relationship with you, and he wants you to extend a relationship like that to people in this community, people you work with, people you go to school with, people that are in your neighborhood, people who are in clubs and associations with you. He wants you to embrace that mission that the Son of Man came to save, to seek and save the lost, and make it your mission as well. I pray that um, here at First Lutheran, that you open your eyes and your hearts wide to the mission that God's given you in this community um, so that you have a desire to share that incredible news of forgiveness with the Zacchaeuses that are in your life, the ones who are in your neighborhoods, the ones who live around you, so that heaven can be a fuller place because you existed as a church. God's blessings. We're going to speak together an affirmation of faith. Let's, let's stand for this. And we'll read it together, if you would, with me. God spoke, and the universe became. God spoke, and mankind was created in his image. Then mankind spoke, seeking to become like God. We chose our own way. We wanted to become bigger, greater, more majestic, and in so doing, we became broken and small. But God did not abandon us. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. Jesus slipped into the world in a seemingly insignificant way. He was laid in a manger in a stable outside a town which had no room, born of a virgin whose husband had decided to divorce her. And when the time was right, he began to teach and preach, gathering a group of disciples from the despised and lonely. And like his father before him, he spoke. He spoke, and the kingdom began to come. He spoke, and hearts were open. He spoke, and the blind saw, and the deaf heard, and the lepers were cured. He spoke, and seeds of faith were planted. The religious leaders asked for signs, for displays of divine anointing, and Jesus would tell them a parable. They asked for proof, for the big and grand and mighty and Jesus would tell them to take up their cross. So mankind spoke again, and Jesus was condemned on a little hill outside Jerusalem, hidden between two criminals. The Son of Man was sacrificed. His only clothes were raffled off, and when he died, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And then God spoke again, and Jesus stepped from the tomb, and life was redeemed. Jesus, who ascended into heaven, 
and sits at the right hand of the Father, promised to Son, His Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes and works through word and water and wine and creates life within us. He breathes in us in His often quiet manner, and we who are broken and small are restored to the size God intended in the first place. We speak together the words our Lord taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now the Father, Creator, the Son, Jesus Christ, Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit, Lord of life, be with us now and always. Amen. The seed is planted. Go in peace as the people of God, growing as His people. Amen.